Welcome to the Gateway Church. Well, we've been in a series in 1 Corinthians since the start of the year and uh, doing some expository preaching, going line by line through the things that God has for us in 1 Corinthians. And we've talked about the benefits a couple different times, but I want to put these back up and really highlight number four in particular today. That one of the benefits is that when we, there's expository preaching, we use God's word um, to, pro, we proclaim it, we bring explanation to it, and then we hopefully walk away being able to apply God's word in our lives, what the Bible teaches. And 1 Corinthians is a wonderful book to do this with, to get our minds around. And I am excited. And really, I feel like we're just getting started. And, we, and uh, at, at the beginning, we'll start rolling a little faster um, than we have been. But in the opening of 1 Corinthians, we see Paul in his letter to the Corinthians. He sends a greeting and encouragement, and he reminds the church the, in Corinth who they are in Christ. He declares that they're sanctified, that they're called out, that they have spiritual gifts, that there's grace and peace, that they're enriched in every way, and that they're going to stand strong to the end. And boy, what an encouragement for us as we start the year, and now that we're in February, but to be reminded that God, what he said to the church in Corinth, he says to us that we are called out. We are sanctified. There are spiritual gifts among us. We are enriched and we're going to be strong to the end. Aren't you thankful for that? Absolutely. And by verse 10, he kind of moves into the body of the, uh, of the book or the letter and he addresses why he's writing to the Corinthian church. There's a variety of, of problems. We've alluded to that over the last several weeks. Um, And we're going to get to those. But he really starts by addressing a fundamental issue within the church. There was disunity among the people. And how many know that when the church is divided, it is tragic? It is horrible. And in 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 17, they're divided over personality. One says, oh, I follow Apollos. The other says, I follow Cephas. One says, I follow Paul. The other says, I follow Christ. And they're like, there's all this pride around that. And what we realize is that there will be no stability, no voice from the church, no unity if they're divided over personality. Then we move from 18 to verse two, or, um, chapter 2, verse 5 in this section, and we talked about uh, God's wisdom versus man's wisdom, and we're going to finish that thought today. Again, the church is divided, and in verse 18 through 25, they're divided over philosophy. Human philosophy was revered in the Greek culture. Over 50 different views about the meaning of life and why we exist. And people were being saved, which was awesome, but they were bringing their human thinking into the church. And their high view of philosophy caused trouble when it came to getting their mind around the resurrection, around relationship and how to deal with one another. It brought trouble with uh, how to function in the spiritual gifts and how to deal with sin. And we're going to see all those things. And it was causing division. They were looking at things through man's eyes. And the result is they were soft on sin, they were hard on people, and they were high on themselves, status. And we're going to talk about that today in particular. Again, if I say it again, the church was 
divided. In Paul, he's contrasting this uh, deficiency of human wisdom with God's power, and there, that's kind of where we left off in this letter. We first uh, said last week, that, the, and when we looked at that philosophy piece, that God's wisdom is superior to man's wisdom, number one, because of its power. And it's not only the power of, of Christ, it's the power of the cross that makes a reality that, that really changes us. It really distincts, distinguishes between man's vis, uh, wisdom and God's wisdom. If I could make it simple, God's wisdom can, man's wisdom cannot. No human wisdom can solve man's problem of sin. That's the reality. In verse 20, it says, where are the wise men? Where are the best? Where are the scholars? Where are them? Where, where are they? And in verse 24, 21, it says that man on his own could never create a way of salvation or forgiveness. So God created a way to forgive, but to the unsaved, we said last week, or I guess it was two weeks ago now, we said that it is foolishness. The word there is uh, the root word where we get our word moronic. It is from the outside, it looks foolish, it looks moronic until the blinders fall off. In church, it's the cross. It's the cross that leads to salvation. It's the cross that stands alone. It's the cross that is absolutely, uncompromisingly, a contradiction to human wisdom. And that's what we looked at in verses 18 through 25. Now this morning, we're going to continue and continue to look at God's wisdom is supreme to man's wisdom. And I want you to stand with me, and I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to do this each and every week through this series. We're going to highlight God's Word, and we want to make sure you have a copy of God's Word in front of you. And this is a great opportunity to slide out, grab a Bible from the back, or bring bring your phones or your tablet or bring your Bible and uh, we want to follow along. Let's read. We're going to pick up in verse 26 of chapter 1. This is what it says. It says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? Verse 29, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let him who boasts in the let let him who boasts boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I, can, I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power." Why? So that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. And we'll stop there for the morning. Lord, 
I believe what one of our intercessors this morning said in prayer, that your word is powerful and that your word, when we sink our teeth in it, that is what transforms our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that we will get a dose of your word this morning. Lord, that we would sense your spirit at work. And Lord, I pray it for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. Oh, thanks, Matt. I really appreciate that. So we said last time that we were together that God's wisdom is superior to man's because of its power. Everyone say power. Well, we're going to move on and we're going to move to the next uh, thing that God's wisdom is superior because of its paradox. If you're taking uh, notes, I want you to write paradox in your notes. And what God is doing here through the scripture is that he's showing, he's revealing his wisdom by redeeming simple, ordinary people. Now, God could have created a plan that was very complex so complex that it would boggle your mind, that it would be hard to figure out, that it would take a high IQ, a Phi Beta Kappa type person, someone that's on the honor society, on the honor roll to figure out how to come to Christ. But that's not what God did. He took the simple things of this world, and we see that in verse 26. Let's look at it. It says, brothers, think of what you were. He's saying, think about it. And then he goes on and he says, think about it. When you were called, not many of you were wise by human standard. Not many of you were wise. Just for a quick um, uh, survey, any valid Victorians here? Um, Got one. Not a real bright bunch, are we? (laughs) It kind of proves the point, right? Any Albert Einstein types? Maybe one or birthday, same as Albert Einstein. All right. <laughs> okay, and so not many of you were wise. We can relate to that. Then it says, not many of you were influential, not many of you of noble birth. That word influential there is dinatoy, which it comes from the same root of dunamis which is powerful. So it's saying, are there any presidents? Are there any generals? Are there any movers and shakers in the church? And they're saying, not many were fit that bill. And I would say, looking around, you know, did anybody, you know, show up in a limousine this morning? I, you know, our greeters, anybody have to, you know, anybody have a security detail this morning? You know, making sure that you're safe? I don't know of any at least, Right. And in the Corinth, in the church, they were full of ordinary people. Look at your neighbor and say, kind of like us, right? Let's just acknowledge it. I know some of you are resisting that. You're saying, I'm better than that, right? But we're ordinary. And what's interesting is is when you study the early church, yes, there were a few that were wealthy. In fact, they met at house churches, and some of those, uh, Stephanus and Gaius, and uh, some of those would have had some significant wealth. They were, you know, in, in the guard or whatever. But most of the church, listen, they would have went home to be owned by someone else. Isn't that interesting? 
And that's what he's saying. He's saying not many of you are wise by human standards or influential or of noble birth. And in the history of the Roman culture, status was everything. And not only was status everything, you had to show your status by the things that you wore, by the way that you dressed, whom you associated with. When you were invited to a banquet or a meal, it was important where you were seated or even if you got an invitation. And what's interesting is I think about it, and if we were honest with ourselves, isn't that still the case today? Nothing has really changed. Everyone, I believe, wrestles with status at some point or another. And we see that here. We see that not many were wise, not many were influential. And in verse 27 says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Verse 28, He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God has a plan for all of this taking the things that are weak and making them strong. What it does, what it's saying here is that God chooses the morons. <laughs> How about that? And when I read that, I put my name in there. I say, he chooses people like Ben and Jessica to lead. And that's great news. That is liberating. He chooses me just the way that I am. And what's awesome, before I chose Christ, he chose me and he chose you. And the point is, is that God can use anybody. Last week, Pierce Davis did an awesome job. Our missionary that was with us, he told a little bit of his story in the uh, in service. And then later, I, I was asking him a little bit more about it. He said that he was you know, from down south, single mom, drug addict, burned out, but God called him and used him. And I'm saying, yes, isn't that incredible? Last weekend, uh, the board and I, we had a chance to get, get out and we were able to tell, talk a little bit about our stories, where we're from, and how we got to where we are. And our stories are remarkably similar. Ordinary backgrounds, but look what God is doing. And I want you to note that in this verse, it's not minimizing smart people. And I know there are some smart people here at the Gateway Church. I want you to know that being smart is pretty awesome. And that having some power is okay. In fact, other places in the scripture, it says that all power is given from who? The Lord, right? And not only that, but to have some significant wealth is okay as well. That is a blessing from the Lord. The point here is that the kingdom of heaven is open. It's open to royalty, but it's also open to poverty. It's open to those who are powerful, but also to those who feel like they are zeros. God can use you. And you know what? That's man's, or that is God's wisdom. Only God could do that. And you say, why does he do that? Let's look at verse 29. I love this. So that no one may boast before him. And that leads to our third idea. 
The third reason God's wisdom is greater than man's wisdom is because of its purpose. And we see that here in verse 29. It says, no one can boast. No one can say, I was smart enough to believe. I was smart enough to become a Christian. In fact, my choice of Christ has nothing to do with being smart, and neither does yours. It was God who revealed that through time. He's the one who took off the blinders. In fact, he's the one that chose me. Isn't that incredible? And I want to show you something here in this passage that is pretty amazing. Look at verse 24, back to 24. This is, goes back to last week. It says, but to those whom God has called, everyone say called, Verse 26 says, think of it, brothers, while you were, uh, w- um, think of what you were when you were called. Everyone say called again. Verse 27, but God chose, everyone say chose. All right. Verse 28, he chose you. Everyone say he chose. And you're saying, okay, I'm starting to see the pattern here. It was God who did this. It was his choosing, his calling us. And some of you are saying, that sounds a lot like Calvinism, doesn't it? Right, Brendan? But I want to show you something else, all right? Verse 21, look what it says. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was being preached to save those who what? Who believe. Now, I say that because God chose you absolutely. That's a direct contradiction to what culture would say or what man's wisdom would say. How many have ever been there out on the field at recess time? You know, go, let's go back a few years. And you're, you know, everyone's lined up on the fence and there's two captains and you're, you're hoping that you get picked, right? Right? Have you ever been there? I mean, I was usually picked first. No, no, I wasn't. No, that's not true. That is not true. But you're, everyone's wanting to be picked. And then you get picked and you step forward. But So God chose you. He chose each and every one of us. But then we have a part too. We have to believe. All right? So there's two parts here. Now, I love this. That God had no reason to choose me or you. But he did. And what's important to realize is that God's status does not improve by him picking me. So I'm sitting there on the fence, right? And he says, Benve, and I choose to respond. I choose to believe. I join the team. God's team does not get any stronger or any better or any worse either (laughs) by me stepping up to the plate. God says, I wanted him. And he says, I wanted you and you and you and you all across this. Aren't you thankful for that? Isn't that incredible? Then we get to choose him. It really is a simple decision. We're not forced into it. We're not robots. God did not choose me because I was so great. He chose me because he loved me. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it was by grace that we're saved. It's, it's a gift. It's not what I can do or my works 
Why? So that no one can boast. And that's what we see here in verse 29. And if it were any other way, we would be able to brag. We'd be able to put something, a patch on our shoulder. We'd be able to wear a different hat. And that's not what God had in order for us. He brings us to the cross, and we're going to see at the end of the message that the cross is the great equalizer. Why? So that no one can boast. Let's continue. Verse 30. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It was because of him. It was God who stirred in our circumstances. On Wednesday night, we took time to talk about our testimony for those of you that were here. And, you know, we recognized that, yes, there were people involved in our testimony, in our stories, right? And that was really powerful to acknowledge that. And then we hopefully we can be um, part in someone else's story. But the reality is, ultimately, it was God who revealed it. And God can reveal himself in all kinds of ways. He can do it through nature, through dreams, through visions. He can do it through a coworker, through a, a neighbor, through a, um, through a family member. And what happens, and what I want you to see here, is that when God is at work, when those blinders are coming off, what happens is that the light comes on. And what do we get? We get what it says there in verse 30. We get righteousness, we get holiness, we get redemption. Say, what are these things? Let's look at it. Righteousness, that means that you are in right standing before God. We are justified. We can stand before him. And what God says in his word is that he looks at us as if we were righteous, We don't deserve that. He clothes us in righteousness. Do you understand what that means? Is that all the filthiness, all of our past, every bad decision, every bad thing that we ever said, every even uh, immoral thought is erased. It's covered because of Jesus. We are righteous. It says also that holiness That word there is to be set apart or to be sanctified, to belong to God and to serve him. And what's interesting is that is the essence of who God is. And we get to share in his existence, to be holy. Isn't that incredible? And then redemption, when you look at that word and what it really means, it's incredible. How many have ever been given a gift card as a gift? right? Um, probably everybody, it's like the thing to do, right? You probably got one from the church. I mean, we, we give out gift cards a lot if you serve it all, and uh, because we appreciate you, and it's one of the ways to do that. But when you get a gift card, and you go to, go to the store, and you say, here, I'm going to buy a coffee, or I'm going to, you know, buy, you know, dinner, or whatever, they don't say, okay, you know, now you have to pay. No, the gift card has already been purchased, Right? And if it's, as long as there's a balance on it, you're good to go. And what that means for us as Christians, as believers, we are set free because Jesus has paid it all. I did not do anything. It was purchased just like a gift card, and there's nothing I could do to add to it or take 
it away. And in verse 31, it kind of drives that point home. It says, therefore, it is, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And now that is a direct encouragement for each and every one of us. To walk out of here today, and not only here we can boast in the Lord, which is easy, but we are called to boast in the Lord at work and with our families, wherever God takes us, that is what we're called to do. Now, we're going to see one more thing. We've talked about the power of God, the cross. We've talked about this paradox. It just doesn't make sense. In man's thinking, I'm thinking, pick the best. But God says, no, I'm going to pick the simple, the ordinary. But then we talked about um, that. Then we talked about why, so no one can boast. There's another piece to this puzzle. God's wisdom is supreme to man's wisdom. That's what this whole section's about. And at the last bit here, Paul uses himself, the preacher, as an example. And what I want you to see is that you could put your name right there. Paul uses himself as an example, but we are to be an example as well. Let's look at it. Chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence. That word eloquence there, uh, the root word is logos, which means not, he didn't come with words, with vocabulary, not with philosophy, right? But he says, or superior wisdom, which we've been talking about, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. Paul says, I came and I gave testimony about Jesus, about God. And I was thinking about that this week. And I was thinking about that personally, in my role, and really in your roles as well. It is not my job to talk about political views or the economy or to just you know, do book reviews, things like that, right? My job is to rightly divide the Word of God. And what I love is that in expository preaching, that's what we're doing. We're bringing value to God's Word. You can come and you're going to get a meal each and every Sunday in that way. Verse 2 says this, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He brings them back to the cross and Christ crucified. And he's saying, look, it may seem foolish. It may not make sense to talk about Christ and being crucified and all the things that we've talked about over the last couple weeks. But that is what Paul concentrated on. And God used that in his life. Verse 3, then he says, I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And as I studied that this week and I, I tried to get my mind around that, it's very interesting. In fact, I got an assignment for those that like extra credit. I want you to read Acts chapter 16, 17, and 18. And what it does, it talks about Paul in Acts leading up to him being in Corinth in chapter 18 of Acts. And what's interesting here is that you'll see that he was beaten in Philippi and actually in prison. Then he is released um, through the Holy Spirit. He runs to Thessalonica, then to Berea. He flees to Athens, and he's all alone. He's laughed at. He's called a fool. 
And now he's in Corinth, he's weak, he's tired, he may have had malaria, he's cut off from his friends, he's dejected, and you're saying, really? Was Paul all those things? Was he really scared? Well, turn with me to Acts chapter 18. This is really interesting. Paul is in Corinth, and he, this is where he's writing back to, and he's, and he's talking about this. He's saying, when I was with you, I was in weak, I was, there was fear, there's all these things. Listen to what Jesus appeared to Paul, and listen to what he said. He says, one night, in a, the Lord spoke in a vision and says, do not be afraid. Paul was afraid. He had fear. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, would not have come to him in this vision. He says, keep on speaking. Do not be silent. He's saying, don't give up, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in this city. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, he comes to Paul and says, look, I'm here to help you. Isn't that beautiful? He's saying, look, your confidence does not rest in your own ability, but it rests in my ability, in my power. And we see that continued, that thought in verse number four. Let's look at it. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. He's saying, look, I was not there to impress anybody. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, listen to what it says. It says, by, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who was timid when face to face with you, but bold went away. He was timid when he was with them in Corinth. Verse 10 says, For some say his letters are weighty and forceful. They, his letters had power to them, but in person he was very unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. How about that? And I'm thinking, really? And so I dug a little. I'm thinking, this is Paul. He was more educated than anybody. Really? Was his speaking all that bad? I know that uh, Apollos was very eloquent. We see that in Acts and we kind of track. And really, as I dug in, I believe that Paul was a dynamic speaker. I do not believe that he was lacking in ability. I think it's more the culture there. And in writing, it was almost a debate uh, type of tactic to, to downplay what was being said. And, and so that's my personal opinion as I read and as I've studied. But listen, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, this is what he's saying. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise or persuasive words. And what I really believe that is saying, he's saying, look, I was not trying to convince you by my own means. My focus was on Christ and Christ crucified. But then it says, but, with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Incredible. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, have the signs of an apostle, signs, wonders, miracles. And I do believe that Paul had all of those things evident in his ministry, that there were signs and wonders and miracles. I believe that in Paul's life. But when I think that this verse in chapter 4, or chapter 2, verse 4 in 1 Corinthians, I believe that it's really talking about the greatest miracle. 
He's saying, look, I didn't come with persuasive words. I didn't come with all these things. I came with the Spirit's power. And what I believe, the power, the greatest miracle is a transformed life. When a sinner becomes a saint, I believe that's what we're talking about. So what if someone's blind and then gets their sight if their heart has not been changed? And that might seem cold. So what if someone's cripple or epileptic or something like that and gets healed but doesn't receive Christ, right? Without salvation, we're nothing. The greatest miracle is a transformed life. The greatest thing that could ever happen to you is that the blinders come off and you choose to believe what God's word says, that you're a sinner saved by grace and you accept that grace. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 5. Why, why is Paul using himself as an example He's saying, why did I not come with wise and persuasive words instead with the Spirit's power? Why? So that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. What I want you to see here, he's really closing a thought that he started back in verse 17 and 18 of chapter 1. He's kind of bringing it all back to God's power It's back to the cross. That's what makes the difference, the cross. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, the power of the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be converters uh, converters of souls. It doesn't, the power of the gospel does not, it's not the preacher's learning Otherwise, it would consist in the wisdom of men. The power of the gospel is only through the Holy Spirit at work in someone's life. Charles Spurgeon. Incredible. So what are some takeaways for us? When we think about this and we get our minds around what, what Paul is trying to communicate here, I think there's some takeaways. And really, what it boils down to for me, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, is that the cross is the great equalizer. God needs no one to improve his own status. The value of something, when we look at that and we say, okay, what is a human life worth? What are we worth? What is our standing? What are we willing? What what is something worth? It's worth what you're willing to pay for it. And what was Christ willing to pay for our lives? He gave his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. And what nailed him to the cross were not the nails. It was his love. And his love was so immense, so great. And what that does for me, and what I believe that it can do for each and every one of us, is it can take our status, what we think about ourselves, and it equalizes. And it says, you know what? It really doesn't matter what I think about myself. It matters more what God thinks about me. 
And so if you've got this low view of yourself, you feel like you're nothing, or maybe that you grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, or maybe you have a disability, or maybe you don't have the looks like a model on TV, or maybe you don't have the money like Donald Trump, or maybe you're um, you know, too tall or too short or too fat or too skinny, whatever the case might be. You know what? All of that dissipates at the cross. None of that matters. And on the other side, if you're filled up, if you're pumped up, you're saying, hey, look at me, look at my looks, or look at, you know, the money that I have, or look at, you know, if you're overly cocky, can I just say, honestly, God is not impressed (laughs) with your giving or with your sacrifice or with your acts of service. I've said this so many times. God does not love you any more or less by what you do. His love for you is perfect. And what it is, it's the cross that makes that a reality. Whether you are nobility or you are poverty, your status is equalized. And what does God want more than anything? It's for you to realize that there is confidence that we can have in our standing with Christ. And then it says that he wants to know us. He wants to know us, to know him, our identity. For that to be sealed, to be walking in confidence. This morning, I want to bring us back to the very beginning of the series Back to 1 Corinthians, just those first few, first few verses where Paul is talking about um, they're, they're, um, how great the people are, even though they have all these issues. And he says that they're, um, you know, that they're called out, they're sanctified, they're, they've got all these spiritual gifts. He's telling them, he's encouraging them. And I really believe that that even though the church is divided and they're struggling with personalities and philosophy and they're, uh, they really were relying on man's wisdom and uh, bringing that in, they had all these issues and we're going to see that as we continue. But I think we're going to see continually that Paul is, in, is encouraging the people in Corinth. And I believe God's word is encouraging us to come back to that, that God, he loves us so much. And he has provided for us so much. Do you have that standing sheet for, that we uh, passed out? No? Uh, yeah, you do. Yeah, I thought so. Um, we passed these out at the beginning of the year. And we've had all kinds of comments about this. And we encourage you to say, hey, take these and look at one a day or you know, read those when you're reading your Bible and, and different things. And, uh, and we've just printed more copies that are out on the table for you to not only take for yourself if you didn't get one, but also to give away, to bless someone, to encourage someone saying, look, you are a new creation. You are beloved. You are declared holy. And all these, there's just a huge list. And uh, the power of this is significant. And what it does, it changes the way that we see ourselves. 
It brings us to the cross, like Paul's doing. He's bringing them back. He's saying the power is in the cross. That's all I've preached. And what it is, because of the cross, it's the great equalizer. And because of that, you are all of these things that God's word says. And I want to encourage us to, to remember who we are in Christ. Now, with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed this morning, we're going to wrap up this morning. Yeah, um, Two weeks ago when we were talking, second service, there were four people that responded to the salvation call where the blinders came off and people were saying yes to Jesus. And this morning, first service here, I don't know where you are with the Lord. Some of you may have walked in and you're putting on a show this morning and you're feeling completely disconnected with Jesus. But can I just speak a couple things over you straight from God's word? That you are the apple of God's eye. You are anointed. You are gifted. You have the mind of Christ. You are healed. You are redeemed. You're sanctified, saved. You're sealed. And you're absolutely worthy of the Lord. And someone needed to hear that this morning. And they need to come back to the Lord. To respond saying, I surrender again to you. It's also possible this morning that you found yourself here and maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus. You've never surrendered, but man, this morning the blinders are coming off and you see your need for a Savior. Jesus is calling. He's revealing himself. And we want to give you an opportunity to respond and say yes to Jesus. Whether you're just away from the Lord or maybe you've never come to him this morning by a show of hands, I'm wondering how many here this morning need to say yes to Jesus, need to surrender to Jesus. Would you just slip up your hand right where you are? So I'm not going to embarrass you call you out, but I want to pray with you. Is there anyone this morning saying, that's where I am today? You say, man, do I really have to raise my hand? Well, you know, the Bible says, boy, if you are ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed before my Father. So I just want to encourage you, just simply raise your hand. I want to, again, I'm not going to embarrass you, but if that's you today and you're away from God, Jesus. Who would respond in that way first? Anyone at all? Okay. All right. All right. No hands went up. I want everyone's eyes on me for a second. That's okay. And I'm 
when I look at this certain passage in 1 Corinthians dealing with status and who we think we are whether it's over positive or over negative or just neutral I want you to walk away knowing who you are in Christ there's power in that in your identity in Christ and that status peace is so so important it's the great equalizer the cross it brings it all together but what I'm going to challenge us to do this week in particular like I already mentioned is to take the sheet that you got or there's extras in the lobby and I want you to not only meditate on these things this week again we're going to move on and continue through 1 Corinthians but I don't want to lose this piece and then I want you to pray about who you could bless with a list like this to share to encourage someone else and can you think of someone maybe maybe someone comes to mind that that you're saying boy they they would benefit from knowing who they are in Christ it could be a believer it could be someone that that you've walked with or maybe it's a mom or dad that just you know you could use the encouragement or maybe uh, maybe it's one of your kids saying boy don't forget who you are in Christ um, or it could be an unsaved loved one or a co-worker but this is my challenge is that we would take this word in, in man's wisdom compared to God's wisdom it may seem like foolishness but I want you to talk about the cross this week and that the cross is the great equalizer and in your own way in your own words try to communicate that with someone if you're willing to try that this week with the best to the best of your ability I'm going to ask that you would stand and I'm just going to say a quick prayer over you and then we're going to dismiss um But if you're willing to give that a shot, would you just stand? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that this week that you would challenge us to not only embrace who we are in you personally, but we would share your wisdom, your power, the paradox that you use simple people. You would explain why that no one can boast and even use our we would use ourselves as an example like Paul did God I pray that you would help us to communicate your love your passion for people and God I pray that you would use each one that is standing and God that they would be challenged to speak up to share your cross just like Paul did. And God, we pray that there be much fruit. It wouldn't be man's wisdom. It's not our persuasive words. But can we talk about the cross, the power of the cross in our day-to-day with our neighbors, our co-workers, with our family? Lord, help us. We pray this all in Jesus' name.